Welcome to Financial Crime Matters with Kieran Beer. I'm Kieran Beer, Chief Analyst and Director of Editorial Content for ACAMS, the world's largest membership organization for AML CFT professionals. In this episode of Financial Crime Matters, I talk with Dr. Hans Jacob Schindler, Senior Director at the Counter Extremism Project, about the rise of right wing extremism connected to terrorist attacks. I hope you find the podcast informative and will subscribe to Financial Crime Matters either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Here we go. This podcast is sponsored by Refinitiv WorldCheck. For leading risk intelligence, think Refinitiv WorldCheck. WorldCheck helps you identify red flags, fulfill know your customer due diligence screening obligations, and comply with regulations. For over two decades, the WorldCheck Risk Intelligence Database has been delivering accurate and reliable information to help you make informed decisions. It has hundreds of specialist researchers and analysts across the globe adhering to the most stringent research guidelines as they collate information from reliable to reputable sources, such as watch lists, government records, and media searches. To lead the fight against financial crime, it takes more than risk intelligence alone. It takes collaboration. From money laundering to human trafficking to terrorism financing, financial crime is in every corner of the world. So are we, helping you fight it. Refinitiv World Check. Find out more at Refinitiv.com. Well, it is my pleasure today to welcome Dr. Hans Jacob Schindler, the Senior Director at the Counter Extremism Project. Hello, Hans. Hi, Kieran. It's a pleasure to be with you. Briefly, can you fill in the audience as to what the Counter Extremism Project is? Yeah, of course. Thank you. Uh, the Counter Extremism Project is a transatlantic think tank and advocacy organization that works against a broad spectrum of extremist and terrorist phenomena, all the way from right-wing extremism and terrorism to Islamist extremism and terrorism. We have offices in the US and Europe, including in Berlin, Germany, where I'm right now, and do research and advocacy in-house, as well as with international partners in three main areas. First, digital disruption, where we document and analyze the misuse of online services by terrorists and help governments, including the European Union, in devising effective regulation of the tech industry to hamper this issue. Secondly, we analyze reintegration programs for released terrorist offenders and in the U.S. have developed pilot programs to ensure a more effective and sustainable reintegration. And finally, which is going to be the focus of our talk today, we analyze financing strategies of terrorist and extremist organizations, both online and offline, and advocate for effective adjustments to the existing control mechanisms to combat this issue. And that is, and I know, as you said, uh, you focus on a whole wide range of uh, terror threats. And I want to, as, as you're aware, really focus down on what's going on in terms of right-wing extremism that is spilling over into terrorism. Can you talk about some of the groups and what's going on out there that are on your radar with regard to right-wing extremism? Of course, right-wing extremism, terrorism, similar, and we keep forgetting this, to Islamist extremism, terrorism, where we are now used to just talk about Al-Qaeda and ISIL, but there's much more, is also characterized by a variety of structures and milieus. Some examples here are cell-based extreme right-wing terror organizations, such as, for example, Combat 18, the German chapter of which was already declared as a terrorist group by the German government last year. There are also network-based organizations, not dissimilar from Al-Qaeda, with affiliates in several countries, but a network center that guides the network as a whole, such as, for example, the Nordic Resistance Movement, which is headquartered in Sweden, but has national affiliates in all Scandinavian countries. Furthermore, you have very loosely connected movements, such as conspiratorial apocalyptic movements, currently 
The most prominent example here is QAnon. Um, these have a significant number of followers, but no guiding structures. They are bound by a common set of extremist narratives slash conspiracy theories. And finally, you have the so-called lone actors, these individuals which are responsible for some of the most famous attacks, such as Breivik in Norway in 2011, the Christchurch attacker or the shooter in Halle in Germany in 2009, and Hanau in 2020. A few of these individuals are really true lone actors in the sense that the Unabomber's Ted Kaczynski was in the US in 1980s and 90s. Most of these individuals are, and those who are no longer with us, uh, were connected to an extremist social milieu that feeds their radicalization and spurs them into action. Yeah, this is a fascinating, uh, I, I was going to ask you, what are some of the things that these groups are espousing? And I guess that goes to the fact that they're loosely associated, but they are kind of feeding one another. And you, you mentioned Andre Brevik and that he was an inspiration for the New Zealand attack. But tell me a little bit about what are some of the groups, these groups espousing? Yeah, and this is really a new shift. Um, in the past decades, a few ideological, if you want to, narrative developments have occurred that allowed for a new transnational network to emerge within this milieu. If you think about the quote-unquote classic right-wing extremists, they espoused a hyper-nationalist uh, ideology, for example, German for the Germans, Italian for the Italians, and so on. This basic thinking, however, made transnational cooperation rather difficult. If you don't like foreigners, you don't like all foreigners. However, with a new ideological idea, such as, for example, the narrative of the great replacement of white genocide, which claimed that European or American or the white race is being, quote-unquote, replaced by a purposefully organized inflow of non-American, non-European, non-white refugees. This changes. This inflow, so the conspiracy narrative, is organized by the quote-unquote elites in Europe and the US. In essence, these ideas are a new version of the old anti-Semitic ideology of a Jewish world conspiracy. Since when you just lift the surface a little bit and ask, who are these elites that allegedly organize this replacement? You very quickly realize that they're primarily well-known Jewish individuals and organizations. Therefore, it's simply a modernized version, differently more smarter packaged version of old anti-Semitic stereotypes, but it allows now for transnational cooperation. Can we talk a little bit about, obviously for my audience, funding? Is there a rise? You talk about that these groups are loosely knit. They have found some common horrific cause. And... Is there cooperation in funding and how does that work? Yeah, of course there is cooperation in funding. Uh, this new narratives allows for a greater operational cooperation, um, both online and specific ecosystems that facilitate these connections and cooperation, as well as uh, through key, what we in CP call physical networking hubs, such uh, you know, as the festivals, as the Askai Dai festival in uh, Ukraine or Kampf der Nibelungen in Germany or the international conference that happens every year in Finland or the Independence Day March in Poland, that's where they cooperate and connect with each other. And also they share strategies as far as funding is concerned. CEP is currently working on a detailed analysis of the financing strategies and tactics of the violent wide-wing streams and terrorism networks currently with a focus just on Germany and the transnational connections emanating from German networks outwards in this regard. And looking at the data that we've been able to compile so far, it's already clear that also when it comes to financing, some cooperation within Europe and across the Atlantic occurs. Overall, we were able to identify three basic pillars and a familiar phenomenon when it comes to extremism, terrorism, financing. Let me start with the three income pillars. First, events, festivals, tournaments are actually income generating events and generate a lot of turnover every year. This is, of course, pre-corona. 
And around those festivals, commercial structures have emerged to organize these events because festivals can have up to seven, eight, nine thousand participants. The second pillar, which is partially connected to these events, is the sale of merchandise, both online and offline. That's fanware, right wing extremist music, but also food supplements. When you think about the mixed martial arts is seen, that is in part right wing uh, oriented literature, of course, Nazi paraphernalia, of course, and here too. Not insignificant sums are generated. And the third pillar are the classic one that everyone assumes right-wing extremism financing was primarily done is donations, both in the classic sense of sending money, but also increasingly using cryptocurrencies. And finally, and this is a phenomenon that we see in many terrorist and extremist movements, and it's not unusual, is the connection between extremist and terrorism networks, is including the violent right-wing extremists, and criminal activities, in particular the illegal arms and drugs trade, as well as, of course, money laundering connected to, to integrate those funds again into the system. You touched on crypto, and I know that there uh, is crypto and there's other kinds of new financial technology, crowdfunding methods and everything. Can you talk a little bit more about what those look like and how they're used? I think there were reports that you know one of the mainline payment services was used to fund transportation to the U.S. Capitol, for instance. What does that look like? All right. So first of all, when I say there is a misuse of cryptocurrencies, uh, this is a growing trend in all violent right wing, violent Islamist uh, terrorist networks. So it is a growing trend, but that doesn't necessarily mean that is the primarily source of how they move funds at the moment. There are a couple of aspects that make cryptocurrencies particularly attractive and good to use if you are a terrorist or a criminal. And it's a bit too complicated to explain this in the short podcast time that we have now, but there are reports and papers on the website of my organization, the Counter-Extremism Project, where we explain why. However, on the right-wing extremist side, we've seen two primary misuse of that new technology. First, alternative permit methods, and then as a means to transfer donations. But as I said, those commercial structures, they operate as commercial structures. And when we looked at the German scene, because in Germany, things are a little bit slower when it comes to new technologies, cryptocurrencies did not play too much of a basic role here, or a major role here. Lot is done still in fiat currency, primarily also because bank transfers in Germany are significantly easier to do and customers are used to doing that than it is in the United States. Therefore, there is some things that we can do on the cryptocurrency side still to make sure that it becomes less attractive also for right-wing extremists to use them. I agree. PayPal and other service providers have played an unfortunate role in the lead-up to the events of January 6. However, I have to also say that those payment providers, service providers, were the first ones who start to see their connection to right-wing extremists as a reputation role. I was talking about online stores. These obviously need to receive payments. And PayPal and others, credit card companies, have simply started to review systematically payments to some of those online stores, primarily in the US. Of course, that led all immediately to those online stores to switch to cryptocurrency as an alternative payment, but it signals that there's some awareness beginning in that part of the industry. Well, that leads to the question too, you know, when we talk about uh, the use of crypto and alternative payment systems for my audience, are there points at which they might see these funds hit the banking system and hit the accounts that they are responsible for reporting suspicious activity on? Oh, yeah, it does. First of all, it's important to increase your awareness. Right? So unfortunately, at this particular point in time, we do not yet have the help of top-level designations as we have 
where the ISIL al-Qaeda sanctions it of the United Nations Security Council or designations of a violent right-wing terrorist groups on the EU terror list. But, and I have to also say that data compilations analysis for regulators and think tanks are still fairly rare. We, CEP, has published some material and continue to do so in the next couple of weeks. Other organizations such as the Royal United Services Institute, RUSI in London has put out some reports, but there's not so much. However, things are beginning to move. For example, last year, as you, your listeners know, for the first time ever, the US designated the Russian imperial movement, a violent right-wing organization, as a foreign terrorist organization, last year in April. Um, this year, a representative, Elisa Slotkin from Michigan, a uh, Democrat, but the new chairman of the US House Intelligence Counterterrorism Subcommittee, sent a quite a long list of international violent right-wing terrorist groups to the State Department and asked them to be designated also as foreign terrorist organizations. Germany has fairly regularly in the last couple of years, both on the federal as well as the federal state level, banned groups from the right-wing extremist spectrum as terrorist-related. Um, so far, 20 in total on the federal level. Uh, the most recent ones are Combat 18 and uh, an accelerationist network called Nord Adler. And the UK as well proscribed right-wing extremist groups since 2016, starting with National Action, Son Greek Division in February 2020, Feuer Greek Division, July 2020, Atom Waffen Division, these are all very funny names, but very serious, dangerous groups in, in April 2021. And as many of your listeners definitely know, the FATF has declared right-wing extremist financing to be one of the priority areas that it will work on during the German presidency between 2022. Um, and they are currently compiling a report. I think they're supposed to have a first draft by the end of the year. So there is hope that more information will come out, but definitely funds are flowing through the financial system because we are not talking about insignificant amounts of money. We are talking about six figures minimum annually just for one particular event that we could prove and similar sums for some of the online stores where we were able to get uh, data. So we're nearly done, but there's two things I want to touch on. Just briefly to talk a little bit about, again, and I'm, I'm kind of looking out for my audience here who may feel that they are seeing suspicious activity. Is there a way, particularly some places that you'd point them to that they can use social media? You mentioned your own site, and I think it'd be great if you gave the uh, URL for that. And also, if there are sources that, you know, in terms of social media that compliance professionals can look at to see if, you know, some of the ideas are coming from people that may be attached to violent right-wing extremist groups. Certainly. So let me start with my URL. So that's counterextremism, one word, .com counterextremism.com. As I said, RUSI has published some things. Uh, the FATF will come out with some reports. The German government has put out some reports so far. So there is things that you need to look for. On the social media side, because there has been less executive pressure on the financing structures of right-wing extremists slash terrorists in the last couple of years, the flip side of this is that they don't do this extreme obfuscation that you can see when you try to tackle Islamist terrorism and their financing streams. So they're quite openly advertise on all of the global social media platforms that you and your listeners can think of in your head. But there's also VContact, uh, they use messenger services like Telegram and WhatsApp, uh, 4chan and 8chan for a while. They built their own chat fora. But when it comes to financing, because there's been less executive action against those people, this is still done uh, fairly openly. So a Google search will already help you to figure out what are the companies, what are the names of the stakeholders, and then you can see whether they are in your system. Well, that's a, a great place for the audience to begin. 
So what you have described is a situation that perhaps we have not heretofore paid that much attention to. And I, I sensed a note of optimism that you feel like these groups are now being exposed. At the same time, we have to balance out the fact that they seem to be solidifying and unifying, at least amongst themselves, maybe. So you can correct me if I'm overstating this and growing a little bit. You know, I often end with the, are you optimistic or what do you see that makes you optimistic or maybe some final words about how we address this situation? Yeah, look, I mean, I'm optimistic because governments have begun to take this up as an issue. And the discussion, what nature this is and how much terrorism is in this has started, which is extremely helpful. But also it's undeniable that we have seen a string of high profile attacks. Uh, just to you know, list a couple, 2018 Pittsburgh, right? 2019 Christchurch, Pobe, El Paso, Oslo and Halle, 2020 Hanau. Then comes a little lull because guess what? We had the corona crisis, less movement, less targets, right? But we have seen in particular the right-wing extremists on both sides of the Atlantic being all extremist terrorist movements tried, but the right-wing has been particularly successful in capturing corona critical sentiment within the population, infuse themselves into this movement and therefore building up or opening up a broader slice of society to their extremist ideas because they are now critical towards the establishment. So other critical points of the establishment find a more receptive social ground. So they are, of course, a growing and present threat. But seeing that the United States, the European Union, the German government, the British government all start to talk publicly about me as the counter-extremism project run a whole series of events in cooperation with the German foreign ministry since last year and until the end of this year on various aspects of that movement. We have a big report on our website on the transnational connections of that. So things are being discussed. And as soon as you start looking, that's already the first step into mitigating any risks that may exist. That is a good note to end on. Very grave issue and yet one that, uh, as you say, uh, we're starting to address. Thank you so much, Dr. Hans Jacob Schindler. Senior Director at the Counter-Extremism Project. Pleasure to be with you. It was an honor. Thank you. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Dr. Hans Jacob Schindler, Senior Director at the Counter-Extremism Project. I hope you found what you heard informative and will subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud so that you'll receive an alert for each new podcast. Because financial crime matters to me and to you. See you next time.